This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming out this week. A very special week. Flo Paterni is sponsoring the Lunch and Learn this week in the honor of her birthday. We wish her a very, very wonderful year. Her, uh, her, she should have a year full with success, filled with good health, filled with nachas, filled with all of the prayers that she makes to the good Lord being fulfilled. Okay. A donation also has been made to Partners Detroit and the yard site of Esther Bas David. May the Neshama have an aliyah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this week's Torah portion. Wait, I thank you. I thank the sponsors. Did I thank you for coming out? I did. Okay, well, I'm thanking you now. Thank you all for coming out. It's so beautiful to see you all here and to learn with you every week. I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful Lunch and Learn every week. And I want to thank the amazing staff over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it's filled with amazing Torah content. If you don't believe me, go see it for yourself. And if you do believe me, go see it for yourself still, because it's better to do it yourself than to hear about it from others. Okay, let us now dive right into the Parsha. This week, ladies and gentlemen, is another Parsha filled with incredible messages. And I am fortunate enough to have over here the Art Scroll Chumash in Spanish. So I will speak to you about what this week's Torah portion contains in Spanish. Don't worry about it, everybody. Sir. It's great. Um, I also want to say that normally this week's Torah portion starts with the stories of the spies. The story of the spies is a familiar one. The Jewish people send spies to the land of Israel. They come back and they give a terrible report. And it's not a good situation. So we're not going to start with that. Because why start with the not so good? We are going to start with the, va- the total other end of the Parsha. We're going to start with the 18th hole, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to start with the very end of this Parsha, which is a very important Parsha in the Torah. And we're going to try to connect it through our learning today to the beginning of the Parsha. Let's see what we can do. So the very end of the Parsha is a portion that we read all the time, multiple times a day. It is the portion that talks about the mitzvah of tzitzis. As it says as following, Dijo Hashem a Moshe diciendo, Habla a los hijos de Israel, dilis kuehigan para los tzitzis. No. Okay. <laughs> that is the Spanish version of it. Let's try it in Hebrew and I'll try to translate on my own over here. Okay, here we go. Vayedaber Hashem el Moshe Lamar. And Hashem spoke to Moses saying, sorry, Vayomer Hashem, very important. Vayomer Hashem, there's actually a big difference between Vayedaber and Vayomer. The commentaries talk about why there's a switch over here. Watch this. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe Lamar. And Hashem said to Moses saying, Daber el Bnei Israel, speak to the Jewish people. They're saying and they're speaking. Speaking is a little bit more harsh. So it starts off with say, and then it moves to speak. A different conversation for a different time. We're not going to delve into it today in great length. But it does say that. And Hashem said to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. And you shall say to them, And they shall make for themselves tzitzis, these four-cornered garments. Uh, well, on the corners of their garments, Lidorosam for all their generations. And they shall put on the tzitzis of their corners a blue string, a 
blue string. And it will be for you as oso, and you will see it. And you will remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem. And you will do them. And you will not stray, you will not wander after your eye, your hearts and after your eyes. After which you tend to stray. So that you should remember. And you will do all my mitzvahs. And you will be holy to Hashem. Your God. I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt. To be your God. I am Hashem, your God. That is the parsha that ends this week's Torah portion. Now, first of all, we have to understand how did it get here? How did the parsha of Tzitzis get here into a parsha that is otherwise dominated by the story of the spies? How did it get here? There doesn't seem to be a very, very clear connection. Okay, that's question number one we're going to deal with. Question number two. Let's understand a little bit more about Sitsis, but oh wait, sorry, question number two. At the end of this week's at the end of this portion, it says, I am Hashem your God who took you out of the land of Egypt to be a God for you. I am Hashem your God. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the Art Scroll Sitter, the Art Scroll Sitter. Did you put one here? Uh, here it is, right here. Thank you. It's right in front of me. Okay, the Art Scroll Sitter, when you read the Shema, it will tell you, in a little kind of, in a little text over there, it says, Concentrate on fulfilling the commandment of remembering the Exodus from Egypt. Now, how did that get there? You're telling us there's an important mitzvah to remember Egypt every day. The Torah says, every single day we should remember the Exodus. And somehow that piece got put in over here. How? What is the connection between the mitzvah of tzitzis and remembering the Exodus? That this incredible, important event in the Jewish people's story, one that is so important that Hashem says, you should remember this every day, by the way. Every single day. You're supposed to remember the exodus from Egypt every single day. But somehow that mitzvah gets tied to the mitzvah of tzitzis. So much so that we put it into the Shema, and in the Shema, which we read every day, we have a little concentration note here from the art scroll telling us, this is where you should be focused. How did it get here and why? So how did it get into Parsha Shalach? which is the, the Parsha dominated by the story of the spies, how did, it get, how did the story of the Exodus get connected to the mitzvah of Tzitzis? There seems to be no connection. Next, let's understand a little bit more about this mitzvah of Tzitzis. I want to open up for you the Gemara in Menachos. The Gemara in Tractate Menachos. Menachos is a tractate that primarily deals with the laws of meal offerings. Meal offerings would be when you brought a carbon out of flour and oil and frankincense. Okay? I have lots of flour and oil in my house. I don't know how much frankincense I have right now, but don't worry, God willing, the, the base of Migdash will come and we'll all find great storehouses of frankincense so we can start bringing our carbonos. It says over here in the Gemara in Menachos. Tanya Idach, another teaching, another Baraisa teaching. 
you shall remember them, you shall see them, that says, you'll remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem. Says the Gemara, Shkula mitzvah zu keneged kol ha mitzvos. This mitzvah is equal. The word shakul means equal. Equal to all the mitzvos. Now that seems to be, it's one thing if you tell me, you know, Shabbos is equal to all the mitzvos. Shabbos is not an easy mitzvah for those who don't have a experience with it for a long time. Obviously, once you're, you've experienced Shabbos properly for any length of time, you're absolutely in love with Shabbos and you can't wait for Shabbos. But even if you were in love with Shabbos and you can't wait for Shabbos, you still, there's a lot of mitzvos. I can understand you say, okay, Shabbos is comparable to all the mitzvos. If you keep Shabbos properly, it's comparable to all the mitzvos. If you say, if you deny Avodah Zarah, if you deny the worship of idols or any other forces than God, it's like you kept all the mitzvos. I can hear all those statements. But to say that if the mitzvah of tzitzis is comparable to all the mitzvos, what does the mitzvah of tzitzis entail? Putting on a garment... And the garment has strings already pre-attached, right? So I'm thinking, what does it take? How long does it take me to put on my tzitzis in the morning? A few seconds? And then the entire day, I'm not even usually aware that I'm wearing, meaning, how of God willing, I should be aware the whole day. We're going to talk about that in a moment, too. But I'm saying, it's not like, it's not like heavy on me. It's not like I'm wearing, if, if, you're, if you're a police officer and you're wearing one of those bulletproof vests, Sometimes you're used to it, you don't notice it, but it's a heavy vest. At the end of the day, you know, you're walking around all day wearing a heavy Kevlar vest. You, you feel the weight of it on you. I don't feel the weight of the tzitzis on me. So how do you tell me that the wearing of the mitzvah, the wearing tzitzis is comparable to all the mitzvos? Furthermore, how does tzitzis work? It tells you in the Pasuk, it says, and you shall see them, you shall see them, and you shall remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem. How? So I'm going to tell you two different ways. There's two ways that you can see the mitzvah, the tzitzis, and remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem. The first way the sages tell us is like this. The word tzitzis, okay, there's, there's two ways you can spell the word tzitzis, right? And if you speak, you know, if you're a... a grammatician of Hebrew, and you're very into diktuk. So there's tzitzis spelled with two yuds, tzadi, yud, tzadi, yud, tough. But the main way the Torah spells the word tzitzis is tzitzis with one yud, tzadi, yud, tzi, and then tzis, tzadi, saf. However, if you spell the word tzitzis, not like the way the Torah spells it, because the Torah spells it tzadi yud, tzadi saf. If you spell the word tzitzis with two yuds, then the numerical equivalence of the word tzitzis is 600. Allow me to demonstrate. The letter tzadi has a numerical equivalence of 90. The letter Yud has a numerical equivalence of 10. The letter Tzadi has a letter numerical equivalence of 90. The letter Yud has a numerical equivalence of 10. Right now, if you're keeping track, we are at? 200. 200. Then you add a Suf on the end, and that is 400, which gets you to 600. Now remember, if you actually look at the Torah and the way the Torah spells the word Tzitzis, you're not going to get there. But you've got to add, add, if you add the extra Yud, which could be added, because it's a sound, Okay, then you get to 600. 
And then, ladies and gentlemen, every one of the strings of the corners has five sets of knots. So you now got 605. We have eight strings. Five plus eight is 13 plus 600 for spelling the word sits is slightly wrong. And you get to 613, of course. Boom, 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 boom. Ain't that obvious? How did you not see that one coming? <laughs> That's what most people do when they see the tits. They look at the tits and they're like, oh, right. If I spell that slightly incorrectly and then I add the number of strings to the number of knots to the numerical equivalents, I get to 613. That's one way. There's another way you can remember the mitzvahs. You can remember the... There's another way. Let me first make a beautiful bracha on this delicious cold beverage. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shakol Niebedevaro. Amen. There's another way, ladies and gentlemen, that you could look at the tzitzis and you can remember Hashem. However, for most people, this is not relevant today. If you remember, the Torah said you were supposed to add a blue string to your tzitzis. It's a very specific dye called techeles. Techeles is like a turquoise dye which comes from an aquatic creature known as a chilazon. Now, most people are of the belief that we today do not know what the chilazon exactly is. Therefore, we do not wear techeles. However, there are many groups that believe they have found what is the proper chilazon. And the number of people who are getting on board with this is actually growing. When I was just now in Israel... There was a couple boys set up outside in the old city. They had a little booth. And the entire purpose of their booth was informational guide to why you should wear techelas and why they believe they found the right techelas. It was literally, it was staffed by a bunch of kids, like 18, 20-year-old kids. And their whole purpose for being there was to teach about the mitzvah, not of tzitzahs, because they figure most people in the old city know about the mitzvah of tzitzahs, but to teach about the mitzvah of techelas and why we really found the chilazon now for real and you should get on board and wear blue. And more and more people are wearing blue strings, which they believe comes from the chilazon. Again, that's a dispute, a very, very hotly contested dispute in the Jewish world today. However, if you did have that blue string, that blue string has a very interesting component, because you can look at the blue string, and the blue of the string is similar to the blue of the ocean. Now, when you say the blue of the ocean, I lived in Farakaway for many years. The ocean ain't blue in Farakaway. <laughs> it's like a dirty green, okay? However, the blue, think of Bali, okay? Think of the ocean in Bali. Or I actually just went to Israel a few weeks ago, and I went to Rosh Hanikra, which is the northernmost part of the Mediterranean coast, and the water there is a beautiful, rich blue. So if you look at the water there, the strings, the blue on the strings reminds you of the blue of the ocean. And the blue of the ocean reminds you of the blue of the heavens, because the heavens are wide open blue skies, and the blue heavens will remind you of God's throne of glory, because the Pasuk tells us, Betachas Kiso, Kimase Livnas Hasapi, or underneath the throne of glory, was some sort of sapphire-like stone. So God's throne of glory contains a sapphire-like stone, of course, more metaphorical because God doesn't sit on a throne because God's not human, doesn't have a body. But God's throne of glory is represented by this blue sapphire-like color. So, you look at the tzitzis and you say, the blue of the tzitzis reminds me of the blue of the ocean, and the blue of the ocean reminds me of the blue of the heavens, and the blue of the heavens reminds me of the blue of God's heavenly throne. And by seeing these tzitzis, you remember 
to fear God and to do God's commandments and to love God and so on and so forth. There's the first way with the numerical equivalents, and there's the second way. The second way we call Blues Clues. Okay, Blues Clues. Alrighty, now. I have a question for you. Who here in this room looks at the tzitzes and makes that immediate calculation? There's no blue. You don't even have the blue today, so you only have one way, only the numbers way, right? The numbers way is still, is still standing. If you don't have the blue here in tzitzes, you don't have that way. But you have the other gateway, which is if you remember how to spell tzitzes wrong and you add up the numerical equivalents, you get the 600 plus the five knots and, and eight strings, you get the 613, and you will see them. You'll remember the mitzvahs of Hashem. Okay. Let me ask you another question. Do you have to wear tzitzes? No. <laughs> Not exactly. Well, first of all, if you're a woman, you definitely don't have to wear tzitzes. Okay. If you're a man, you don't have to wear tzitzes either. You only have to wear tzitzes if you're wearing a four-cornered garment. Now, in the modern American wardrobe, there are no four-cornered garments. The only one that I could think of is if you go to Mexico and you come home with one of those ponchos, you know, those ponchos have four corners. But other than that, there's no other American garment that I could think of that has four corners that is required to wear tzitzis. Polo shirts do not, because that slit up the side is not long enough, and therefore it is not required. Now, interestingly, by the way, if you look at Hasidic, a scarf is not big enough to require the tzitzis. And by the way, just as an important point, often you see people who wear the scarf talus that's not necessarily... If you want to wear a tzitzis, wear a more traditional form of tzitzis because the scarf is not required to wear a tzitzis. It's, not, it's worn as a scarf. It's not meant... It doesn't have the right uh, width. It's not really required in tzitzis. So try to wear the more... If you, it's a shame. If you're already going the length and wearing something, make sure you don't wear the, the scarf talus. Make sure you wear the full talus. Now... The one garment that you'll see sometimes, if you see like Lubavitch Hasidim, they wear on Shabbos, like a, a Rekel or Bekasha or whatever they call it, there's different four names for various Hasidic groups. They, have, they would have four corners, because it, it has a long, in the front it goes down, it's like double-breasted, so on the front there's two corners in the front, and in the back there's a long slit that goes about two feet, or whatever it is, that is long enough. A polo shirt having four corners, that's not long enough, it's not required to wear tzitzis, but that would be required. However, check this out. Next time you see a Chabad Chassid, take a look at the slit, and you'll notice that the, t- the flap in the front has a corner. The flap that's behind it actually is rounded off. They literally make it with a rounded, so it doesn't have a corner, so they only have three corners. Because otherwise they would have to wear tzitzis on that. Now, of course, in the olden days when people wore long sort of tunics, that would be much more common for them to wear tzitzis. But the bottom line is you're not required to wear tzitzis. How do you tell me this mitzvah is shuckle, is comparable, is weighty, like all the mitzvahs if you're not even required to wear it? Why are you not? Look, the Torah has so many commandments. There's so many things we're commanded to do. Why does the Torah make a commandment? You must wear a four-corner garment and it must have tzitzis. It doesn't. You can wear a four-cornered garment. You have to go out and buy a four-cornered garment because you're not going to find one in your, in your closet at home. But you go out to the store, you buy a four-cornered garment that has scissors or you add scissors to it. If it's such an important mitzvah, why is it not required? All right, so here's a bunch of those questions. 
we want to understand the mitzvah of tzitzis, let me tell you a story. There's a story, there's a halacha in the Jewish code of law that when a woman is laundering her clothing, she should not leave certain clothing hanging on a clothesline out in public in the front of the house. It's not, it's not appropriate. It's not. Now, a person once came to the rabbi and he said, I don't understand, rabbi. You're telling me I'm supposed to look at the tzitzit and to remember God. I don't make that connection. So the rabbi said, let me ask you a different question. There's another mitzvah. There's another halacha that a woman should not leave certain intimate garments lying in the front, drying out. Do you understand that mitzvah? Does that make sense to you, that Jewish law? And the man, a little sheepishly, says, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the mind wanders. And the rabbi says, aha. So you totally understand how a person could see something hanging on a clothesline to dry and the mind could wander to all kinds of places that it shouldn't be. That you understand, but you can't understand how someone could see tzitzis and their mind wander to God. It's all about where you're, where you, what you want to see in the world. It's all about what you want to see in the world. <coughs> when a man is in love, absolutely in love with a woman, he can walk down the street and he sees a sign for Pepsi. And he's like, oh, remember on our first date we, got, we both got Pepsis? Remember? Yeah, I got the Diet Pepsi, you got the regular. Yeah, oh, wow, that's crazy. It's like our first date. They go down the street a little further. And they, they pass by a street. It's, it's Beverly Street. Oh, Beverly Street. Remember when we were dating, we went to Beverly Hills to that hotel over there to go to the lounge there? Where, wherever they go, he's seeing his beloved. And of course, after someone passes, someone who we love deeply, that is so often the case too, that a person, wherever they go, they just see they see the person they love in everything and everywhere because everything reminds them of that person. Why? Because they want to be reminded of that person. Their eye is seeking that relationship and therefore it sees it in everything from the Pepsi sign to Beverly Street to everything. There are people known as potheads. Now, there are people who smoke marijuana occasionally, and then there are potheads. Potheads are, it's a whole different form. It's a lifestyle. A pothead walks into a hotel room, and immediately he sees all the different things they could use and manufacture into a a bong. (laughs) It's unbelievable. From the most creative people in the world. Imagine if they use their creative talents for anything other than smoking weed and finding creative ways to make bongs. You see what you want to see in the world. I'll give you one more example. When I was younger, I was very, very into snowboarding. I loved snowboarding. And I was, I, I was at that point, I was... I was Subscribe to every snowboarding magazine in the world. There was only three at the time. Snowboard Life, Transworld Snowboarding, and Snowboarder. 
And I subscribed to all of them. I probably read them all cover to cover. I knew about every pro snowboarder, and I, I could tell you all the best parks in the world and the best slopes and resorts and heli snowboarding. And I could tell you the names of the various models, you know, the Burton Custom, and then there's the Burton Custom X, which is a little bit wider, it's extruded bottom. And I could sit here and talk, I could talk all day about this stuff. There were two advertisements in snowboard magazines that so caught my eye that I actually clipped them out of the magazines and hung them up in my wall in yeshiva. The first one showed the back seat of a car, and through the back windows, you could see a cold, wintry mountain road. You know, the mountain roads usually go winding back and forth, there's pine trees around it. So you see a car, and in the back he's driving up a, a cold, wintry mountain road. And in the back seat, with just a seatbelt and nothing else, is a little child all wrapped up like in a snowsuit, just wrapped up looking like this, you know? <laughs> and then you see on the other side of the car is a baby seat, a car seat, and it's carefully holding this guy's snowboard. <laughs> <laughs> priorities, my friends, priorities. By the way, for the record, that was not me. I think I wrote about this in my last Shabbos email. I was just newly married, and I was riding in the park, and I took a jump off of a tabletop, and I missed my fall. It was very icy, and I landed on my back, and I had to wait for a stretcher to take me down, and in that moment, I said, you know what? I'm done with riding the park. I'm not doing the, the, the jumps anymore. It's too dangerous. I've got kids, God willing, in the future. My wife's already pregnant. I'll choose children over, you know, taking runs in the park and doing jumps and spins and that kind of stuff. So... I mean, I still snowboarded, Baruch Hashem, but only, like, safer stuff. So that was the first one. That was just not relevant to our conversation. But here's what's relevant. The other advertisement was for GMC trucks. And it showed a picture of a nice suburban neighborhood in the middle of July. The sun is shining. The lawns are neatly clipped there are kids playing with balls, and it's a beautiful summer day. And then you see in front of, there's one house in the center of the advertisement, and right in front of the house is this guy's GMC truck with his snowboard raf, uh, roof rack mounted. But you could see into his house, because there was big windows. And in his house, he's sitting on the couch, wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and his snowboard boots. <laughs> and he's got his snowboard on his lap, and he's in the middle of waxing his snowboard. You put wax in the bottom of the snowboard to make it go faster, so it slides down the mountain a little faster. And he's got the TV on in front of him. Now, if you remember before the age of digital TV, there was this thing where in between the channels, you'd have channel 2 and channel 4, but if you went to channel 3, what did you see? All this white stuff just coming down. So he's sitting in the middle of July, waxing his snowboard, watching the snow come down. On the, oh, man, look at that. We got blizzard conditions, man. Crazy powder coming down. Now, you've got to be an insane snowboarder to look at the fuzz coming down on your screen and see blizzard conditions. <laughs> but you see what you want to see in the world. You see what you want to see in the world. And that is the fundamental idea of the mitzvah of tzitzis. Hashem is saying, I can't force anybody to wear tzitzis because I can't force you to want to see me. 
If you don't care about me, you can wear tzitzis and you can have them all over the place. It's not going to do an iota for you. Because you don't want to see me. However, if you want to see me, I can give you a garment to wear. And when you see that garment, you will go through hoops to make the connection back to me. Yeah, the talus. You'll see the tzitzis and you'll say, oh my gosh, look at that blue string. It reminds me of the, of the ocean. That reminds me of the heavens. That reminds me of the, the throne of God's glory. You'll see the tzitzis and you'll say, oh my gosh, the tzitzis. Tzitzis, spelled slightly wrong only, spells 600 and then the five knots and the eight strings. You get to 613, all the mitzvahs that I love so much. You will see whatever you want to see in the world. And that's the mitzvah of tzitzis. And that's why God says, I can't command you to do it because it won't be effective if you have to do it all the time. I can say, if you want to do it, I would love to have that connection with you. There's something called, there's like the Tiffany bracelet. Sometimes when kids go away for a summer camp, they get these bracelets. They have two halves of a heart. You know what I'm talking about? And then each one of them has, the best friends, each one has half of the heart. Now, if someone gives you that, and they're not your best friend. <laughs> so first of all, you're probably not even going to wear it because it's not so meaningful to you. But even if you wear it because they gave it to you, it's an expensive Tiffany one, you'll wear it. But like, it's not like you see that one and you remember that person all the time because you don't care about that person. You see what you want to see in the world. However, Hashem says, if you're the kind of person who wants to see me in the world, I'll give you a little something, something that you can remember me. And throughout the day, as you notice it, you just kind of remember who you are Remember your relationship with me and have that little ping in your heart that says, I'm a yid, I'm part of God's special people. I have a special relationship with him. I have a Tiffany bracelet that shows this incredible, that God actually wants to be connected to me and I want to be connected to him. Do you have to wear it? No, you don't. But if you want to, oh, I would love it. If you wear your Tiffany bracelet that shows your connection to God proudly, God's like, that's beautiful. You feel the connection. Why is it connected? It says, Shkula mitzvah tzitzis connected to Torah kula. The mitzvah of tzitzis is like the whole Torah. What is the purpose of all the mitzvahs? There's 613 commandments. What's the purpose of the commandments? Why do we shake a lulav? Why do we eat matzah? Why do we blow a shofar? The idea of a mitzvah, there's a word in Aramaic, it's called tzavta. Tzavta means connection. In Hebrew, if you want to describe a staff, a crew, they're called a tzevet. Because they work together to make the organization work. In, in Tel Aviv, there, uh, there used to be a cultural house where people came together from all kinds of backgrounds and discussed ideas. It was called Beit Tzavta, a house of coming togetherness. The purpose of all the mitzvahs are, God says, I know you can't touch me. I know you can't smell me. I know you can't feel me. But if you do these actions, you'll be doing stuff with me. You'll feel me in your life. Blow the shofar, eat the matzah, shake the lulav. You'll feel me in your life. If you go so far as to say, I'm not required to, but I'm going to buy a special four-cornered garment just so that I can see God in my life more, you're going beyond the call of duty. God says, you got the whole thing. You got the whole picture. You're there. The whole purpose of 
the Torah is to create it where you should want to have a relationship with God. And if you go so far as to say, I'm not even required, but I'm going to go and buy a special garment, I'm going to wear it every day because I want to have that connection. I want to feel connected with you, God. That's, that's the whole purpose of the Torah. Which now brings us back to the beginning of the Torah portion. Very few times in the Torah do you see a language called Lasur, which means to scope out, to journey. Let's, let's see the exact translation. And I have to move away from my Spanish one. I've got to go to my... La, yeah, Lasur is Lamed Taf Vav Resh. The actual root of the word is Tor, Taf Vav Resh. Here it says, let them spy out the land of Canaan. But interestingly, at the end of the parsha, we see the same word. When you wear the tzitzis, you will not spy out. The word doesn't really translate as well there. You shall not explore here. It says not explore. Let's go back to the beginning of the parsha. These spies went out to explore. But we know from various sages that they went out and they had it in for Israel. They didn't want to be in Israel. There's many different reasons why they didn't want to go to Israel. Some say they didn't want to lose their positions of authority. Some say they were afraid. Now all the Jews are sitting in the, in the desert and they're eating the manna every day and they're surrounded by the clouds of glory and it's very easy to be a good Jew. We're going to go into Israel. We're going to start making our own money, start growing our own food. Before you know it, you say, I'm a farmer. I make food. I don't know what God does in this world. And you start forgetting God. They didn't want the Jewish people to have that kind of risk. There's many different opinions, but the bottom line is when the spies went out, they went out and their purpose was to see reasons why this should not be successful. And everything they saw that could have told them this is an amazing land that God is watching out for you, they saw exactly the opposite. I want to bring to your attention a very special book. Here we go. Yesterday was the first yard site of a little girl whose name was Leah Torgo. She passed away at the age of nine after a very, very long battle with cancer. Now, she was nine years old, but she was a teacher to anyone who came in contact with her. Literally, anyone who came in contact with her. She was always filled with joy and happiness. There was always a twinkle in her eye. She went through incredible, painful procedures again and again and again, and yet it never could wipe the smile off of her face because she wanted to see good. And it's all about what you want to see. If you want to see God, even if you have to combine the misspelling of tzitzes and the knots and the, and the counting of the knots and the counting of the strings, you'll get there to 613. If you want to see God, you'll see a blue string and you can take that all the way to the ocean, to the heavens, to the throne of glory. If you want to see that we should not go into the land of Israel, even though you'll see a land where the grapes are so big that a cluster of grapes has to be carried by eight people. A land in which all the giants are dying and there's every, your path is just cleared. Wherever you go, there's a bunch of funerals so that you don't get noticed because everyone's so busy taking care of their dead. You can see all that 
and make that into a horrible, wretched land somehow in your mind. It's all about what you want to see. Leah wrote a book. Leah wanted other children who'd be in the hospital. She spent so much time in the hospital that she wanted other children to not have as difficult and as frightful experience as she had and, uh, and, and she knows they all have. And she made a care package. She made a care package with a very, very plush panda bear that had candy and it had this book. And this is what she writes. This is when she's seven years old. This is the foreword to the book. Hi, my name is Leah and I'm seven. I'm writing this book because when I was in the hospital, it was hard for me. I want it to be easier for you if you are in the hospital. So here are some little things you could think about. It could be hard at the hospital because you get a lot of shots and they have to put stuff in your nose. Some things I do in the hospital to make it easier. You could hold someone's hand and she draws these pictures of a heart with two hands being held. Sometimes they bring you iPads to play on. And there's a picture of an, a child's drawing, a seven-year-old child's drawing of an iPad. You could think about having fun after. I think about taking walks. And she has a picture of her walking down the street with a friend and a heart in between them. Getting presents. Or about just having a good time instead of, about thinkings, instead of thinking about the hard things. You could daven, she writes, and she has a little sitter over here, a seven-year-old's drawing of a, a, a sitter. Even if stuff are hard for you, then Hashem will help you anyways. And then she writes some things you should know about a hospital, how to call a nurse, how to change the bandage, how the bed works, how to take medicine. You could hide it in apple juice or you could take a drink after. You could also pretend it's cotton candy. <laughs> Unbelievable. And she finishes the book. I hope this book helped you very much because it helped me to feel better. Heart, love, Leah. This is a seven-year-old child. And mind you, her incredible parents had the same exact approach. While they would tell you they learned from her, which I'm sure they did because no one could come in contact with Leah and not learn from her, they too were teachers of the entire community. Of their absolute faith, connection, and gratitude to God every single step of the way. Just one more story about Leah for a second, then I'll tell another story. Leah, yesterday, her father told the following story. She had to go under surgery, and she was having problems in her mouth because of all the medications that she was on. It was causing lesions, and they had to, they had to remove some teeth. And they go in for the surgery... And then, in the middle of the surgery, the surgeon comes out to the parents and tells them, we may have to remove all of her teeth. Okay, what can you do? you got to do what you got to do. In the end, he was able to save a few teeth. But the majority of her teeth were taken out. And these parents are sitting there and thinking, how are we going to talk to our daughter 
How are we going to explain to her? How do we comfort her? She just lost all of her teeth. She's a child. And it's such an agonizing kind of thing to think about. When Leah came out of surgery, she smiles at them. And she, she, she was fully aware of what happened. She says, look, Mommy and Daddy, look how cute I look. Look how cute I look. With a big smile. Unbelievable. Think about what we go through in our lives. If we have a, a, a headache, we're halfway out of control. And if we've been sick for three, four days, we're like, God, what are you doing to me? This is a person who only wanted to see good. At the funeral for Leah, which was, she passed away right before Shabbos, which is actually an incredible good sign. The Gemara says, it means they go right into the Menucha of Shabbos. The soul goes into the Menucha of Shabbos. And the family said, we're going to do the, the Kavura right away. We're going to do the burial right away. We want her Neshama to be fully able to, the Neshama hangs around after the, the passing until the, Burial is finished, and they, they really wanted her to be able to go into Shabbos and Shemaim. So they, they, they set it up in, within a few hours. A, an email, a text message went out, and, and there was unbelievable. Thousands of people came out for that. And the father of this young girl starts off by thanking Hashem for giving him this incredible gift for every single minute and every single hour that they had this incredible gift. Not a single word of we don't understand why God did this to us. It's not fair, but we don't ask questions. None of that. Gratitude to Hashem for every minute that we've had with this incredible gift. You see what you want to see in the world. There's a part in the Mesilas Yisharm, in the Path of the Just, by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, where he talks about where he talks about the importance of showing gratitude to Hashem. And he says, everybody has to thank Hashem. He says, if you're healthy, wealthy, successful, you've got to thank God for your health and your wealth and your success. And if you are not healthy, if you're in poor health, and you're struggling with poverty, you've got to thank Hashem that even in all the health challenges that you're having, He keeps you going. And even with all the financial situations that you're facing, he's still keeping you, you're still fed, you still go home, there's still food. Leah, and this is something that I, I, I chazer this over, I review this over with myself, this exact story, because I mean, this girl went through so many days of difficult, difficult treatments, but then, and, and even when she wasn't in actual treatments, there was very, she had very tough days, but Anytime she would have a, a good day, again, every day was good for her because she just faced life with a smile. But anytime she had a day where she was not feeling nauseous, where she was not feeling racked in pain, like she was so often feeling, she would say to her family, she would say, look how much Hashem loves me. I'm feeling so great today. Look how much Hashem loves me. I'm feeling so great today. This week's Torah portion is all about how you look at the world. 
Lasur Esaaretz, to explore. How do you explore the world? Do you approach the world with a critical, this is not going to work, this is not fair model? Because if you do, guess what? It's not going to work and everything will be not fair. Your life will be a never-ending string of injustices being visited upon you by everybody. By your spouse, by your children, by your parents, by your community, by your synagogue, by your school, by your kids' school, by your employers, by your employees. Your life will be a never-ending litany of injustice. If you want to see God and beauty and appreciation and the kindness of Hashem, you can see it everywhere. You can see it in a mouth filled with gaps where teeth used to be. Unbelievable. Why over here does the Torah introduce the mitzvah of remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Specifically by the mitzvah of Tzitzis, it says you should remember I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of Egypt. The word Mitzrayim means, Mitzarim means borders and boundaries. And indeed, our nation perhaps never faced a greater sense of constriction, a greater sense of challenge, a greater place where we felt that all continuity was futile. The Gemara tells us that the men just said, we don't want to have any children anymore. There's no future. It took the incredible rock-hard faith of the women to encourage their, children, their husbands to continue the next generation. Because the men, there was such a sense of, yish, there's no hope. What are we fighting for? We've been in slavery for our generations. I'm going to give birth to more children into slavery? Indeed, it was the women who had such faith in the future. They kept the men going. There there was no greater time of just constriction than the time in Egypt. Hashem says, do you want to know how you'll get out of all your boundaries? Look at the mitzvah of tzitzis, which tells you that whatever you look for in the world is what you're going to see. The Miraglim were looking to invalidate the land of Israel. And even though they saw miraculous things that should have been the greatest sign saying, Hashem is going to give you this land. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be bountiful. Hashem will vanquish your enemies before you. And all they saw was, this is impossible. We can't do this. We're going to die there. On the other hand, the person who wants to see the tzitzis looks at the strings and sees Hashem. The little Leah Torgo who is in a hospital room seeing the kindness of Hashem in her life. And we struggle to see the kindness of Hashem while we're sitting healthy and comfortable in our homes and our cars. It's all about how you see it. Specifically by the mitzvah of tzitzis does Hashem say, I'm Hashem who took you out of the land of Egypt. I'm giving you the way. You want to get out of all your constrictions? You want to get out of all your small-mindedness? You want to get out of all the prisons that lock you in? Recognize that those prisons are all in your mind. And if you want to be free, the mitzvah of Tzitzit says, just put reminders everywhere of who you want to be. 
Put phrases on your wall. <coughs> Hang tzitzis from your clothing. Whatever you got to do to remember who you want to be and see those phrases. And u'reisem oso. U'zechartem es kol mitzvot Hashem. See that and be that. Because that's what this week's, this week's Torah portion is all about. You decide what you want to see in the world, and if you put it in front of your eyes, and you focus on it, you will get out of every constriction, every border, every challenge, all the plagues that I put on Egypt I will not put on you. Because no plagues will be able to hold you down, no challenge will be able to keep you back. May we all learn from this incredible, incredible Parsha. That we have the abilities to decide our lives. Let's learn from the incredible teacher, Moralea. Moralea Torgo, a, a nine-year-old girl who could teach every one of us, no matter what we're going through, how to live our lives. And let's truly become the giants we're meant to be. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.